Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the PonderCast. As usual, I'm Perry Siddons, and I'm joined by my guest co-host, Jeremy Lawsett. How are you doing this Hello. fine day, Jeremy? I'm doing well. A little bit tired after holidays, but uh, otherwise doing fine. <laughs> Good. And happy Feast of St. James the Apostle to you, <laughs> which she is today. Well. And... This might be put out today. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but uh, St. James the Elder. There's like three St. Jameses on our calendar. And I just have a really hard time trying to sort out who. So. <laughs> but the reading no, this morning had... Fellow. Yeah, exactly. This morning it had... Uh, it was the Old Testament reading was about fire coming down from heaven. Not... Not when Elijah was, uh, not when he was doing the pagan, you know, trying to show up the pagans, but <clears throat> it's the beginning of Second Kings. And then in the New Testament reading, it was when James and John said, "Shall we call fire down from heaven against these Samaritans?" <laughs> so uh, they must have been the zealots. No, I'm getting mixed up here. Yeah, I don't think that they were zealots. <laughs> Anyways. But, uh... They were zealous. Yes. So, um, we're continuing on with our Apostles' Creed series. Uh, we looked at God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth last week. And uh, as we begin, I will read the creed, and uh, then we'll move into looking at part of the uh, the the what would you call it? The clause, the article that is related to Jesus. So I believe in God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the father almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Don't you just love that word, the quick? The quick and the dead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't use that anymore. No. So in the new, I'm reading from the Book of Common Prayer, which of course uses some of the old language, but in our newer liturgies, it's been uh, changed to. Now I want to look it up. Uh, he will come to judge the living and the dead. The thing about the new creed is that it says he descended to the dead. It doesn't say he descended to hell, but of course we'll oh, get into that. So, um, here's something that I, that I wanted to point out and maybe ask, put you on the spot again, but you said you'd be more prepared. <laughs> um, what I like, what I really appreciate about this book and well, a few things, but one of them is how he tries to plant the, these affirmation of faith within a, 
biblical theological framework, like within uh, within the bigger view of scripture. I love that because it really is a reminder that that the people who are writing this were immersed in scripture, but even more importantly, that we are. It's a reminder that we are living in the story of scripture. Uh, it's not just this um, doctrinal thing like that he keeps talking about. It's not just something that we're saying, yeah, I believe intellectually, but we're actually entering into something that that's gone on for thousands of years before us. And uh, I really love that. So, you know, I know that you were thinking about doing uh, you were doing some talks at a family camp here soon and you wanted to do uh, um, the, the story of Scripture. And I thought, I wonder how they would work to do something with the Apostles Creed if you were going to do a, a series. It might be a helpful way to go about that. I don't know. What would you think about that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm no longer doing the story of scripture. The big picture of scripture is what I was going to call it <laughs> at, at the oh. camp. I, I just went a different direction, but that was that was one of my com uh, competing ideas. I, I think you could split this up uh, pretty easily to do it, it at uh, the camp I was going to speak at has four sessions. Um, and I think mm. you could do it pretty tidily in, in four sessions, right? You could do God the Father as, as the first. You could split up the mm -hmm. uh, this second article as you know we're going to be covering at least half of it today you could you could do it in in two sections just so that it's spread out a little bit more and then you could finish off with the, the third article of the holy spirit mm -hmm. uh, when when i don't think it would be too difficult i don't think it would be too much to digest right you could kind of like uh if we copied um you know his template in the book right it's it's very it's kind of simple right he doesn't overwhelm you with you know, information or no. or anecdotal stories or anything like that either right it's mm. just you know here's the you know significance of this here's you know how it related to their mm. early church a little bit mm -hmm. and here's how it applies to us right i mean mm. you can keep it simple and yet it can be informative and rich and i think he does mm. he, he he has strikes a really good balance um in the book where he's yeah it's introductory Right? It'd be a great mm -hmm. for, you know, catechism type stuff or, you know, uh, baptisms to definitely introduce you to the richness of the faith. But at the same time, it's not so dumbed down or so, you know, heady, um, you know, <laughs> that you're ostracizing certain certain groups of people. Yeah. So, and we're not getting into the textual criticism of the creed. It's just here's the, <laughs> here's yeah. the and he does he. Hmm. Maybe he like dips his toe a little bit into that just to make his point. But what I find both good and a little not I say I say this that it's a little frustrating, but I see it a little, you know, half seriously that, you know, he really whets my appetite and I want more. And then he moves mm -hmm. on. <laughs> so say uh, uh, when he talks about uh, Born of the Virgin Mary. I thought, oh, he could keep going with that, but he just moves on because uh, I, I'm going a little ahead of uh, the, the clauses here, but we'll come back to the first. And But, you know, when you think about the Virgin Mary, she is within this interesting story of 
women in the scriptures who experienced weird things, but particularly they experienced, you know, all, you know, God has this interesting relationship with these women's womb, <laughs> especially in Genesis. I've been, mm -hmm. We've been, you know, in the Anglican church, uh, we've been working through Genesis this summer, and it's so interesting to see through Genesis, the barren womb, but even say with Hannah, as you keep going in, in the scripture, like mm -hmm. there's this interesting relationship with women and their womb and how God is working and how, um, you know, that is like part of God's uh, work of salvation is through women mm -hmm. and, their, <laughs> and their womb. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, it could have been, uh, that's what I'm saying is that he kind of wet the appetite and he could have, he could have, you know, oh, let's, let's get into the polemics about the Virgin Mary from a Protestant view and from a Catholic view and an Orthodox view, but he doesn't, <laughs> mm -hmm. he just, yep. uh, he just leaves it. <laughs> yes. And I think that's probably a smart move, right? This no this kidding. Book then <laughs> applies to a, a wider audience. And if you're interested in it, you, right. You can go dig deeper. I mean, there's, there's no shortage of books written on each of these individual lines in, in the creed. Um, or there's just bigger books, right? So uh, what is his name? Michael Bird, Michael F. Bird. Um, he has a book on the Apostles' Creed as well, hmm. um, you know, for instance, right? And, and it's quite engaging. I'm reading through it as well. Uh, hmm. Not finished it, but yeah, it's, I mean, so you can have that more depth, that more technical aspect if you want to go find it but i think just as an introductory thing this is this is about as ideal as you can get you know hmm. you could almost use it as a devotional to be honest yeah because each each section is is very short and it wouldn't take you you know maybe take you a couple weeks to go through if you're reading you know eight, yeah 10 pages a day kind of thing yeah exactly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i guess i will say in regards to using the creed as a framework for going through the study of scripture for the story of scripture, you would, <laughs> you would have to cram a lot of old Testament into one talk. And that's what I would find disappointing. <laughs> that's the, that's kind of the sad thing about the creed is that you don't get a lot of the old Testament. Yeah. But it's, it's but, but it's in the background. I would it's, say. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of stuff that you can draw from, uh, right? For, I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, Jesus today, right? you know, and mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. I mean, think of all the prophecies, you know, uh, the, the long awaited Messiah, right? All these embedded mm. promises in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. these typological figures, these, all, you know, all these things point forward to Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, we can see. Um, some of that but it depends yeah how technical do you want to get right how uh i don't want to say abstract do you have to get to to draw that out because that's not quite the right term um but you would yeah it, it would be a little bit more work to work to put in the old testament and, and make it clear mm -hmm. and understandable how it relates to the this kind of stuff but it's certainly doable you could weave it into some of these things about well, I mean, when you talk about God as maker of heaven and earth, you talk about Genesis mm -hmm. chapter one, obviously, but 
I think when you talk about God as maker, going this is <laughs> now I'm going way back to last week's episode, but <laughs> when you talk about God as maker of as God speak of God as maker of heaven and earth, you're not just talking about Genesis one. You're really you are, I think, in a way talking about his work the the tapestry of 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 the uh, of the unfolding of creation in the work of israel and then the then the creation of israel as a nation and and bringing that all together in in jesus christ and you and you know he kind of talks about that here with uh was conceived by the holy spirit and he kind of brings it back to Genesis one, but you can weave some of these biblical theological or quite simply, you can weave some of these, the, the big storylines of scripture into the creed. Like again, when you in, invoke uh, this line conceived by or born of the Virgin Mary, well, she's within, you know, think about the genealogies of Matthew or Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a person who is, within the family line of david and uh, mm-hmm. um this is not something that just happened out of the blue this is founded in um in the stories of of uh, in the in the history of israel right maybe some critics would say that the early christians were anti-semites and were trying to make sure not to mention israel's history but i've never read that i'm just wondering if that's been a criticism <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. So, I'm sure uh, somebody's criticizing. <laughs> and uh, who knows if uh, if that's the case? I'm sure it isn't the case. But I mean, yes, the way that the early church looked at the Jewish people, you could say that was a little inflammatory. But um, in uh, in the Anglican Church, some people think that the Gospel of John is anti-Semitic. Hmm. And I kind of bang my head at that and think, no, no, don't throw it away. The way that Jesus talks to the Jews, he's talking to people in history. (laughs) He's not talking to the whole Jewish nation necessarily. (laughs) No, I mean, St. John the Apostle, going with your Anglican rendering, I would just say John. But uh, the evangelist, thank you. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, whatever. My bad. Um, <laughs> he was Jewish. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like they were ashamed of their Jewishness. No, read Acts, dummies. Um, hey. yeah. <laughs> I'm not criticizing you or the Anglican Church yeah, as I a know. whole. I'm criticizing individuals within the Anglican Church, just like Jesus criticized individuals who were Jewish. <laughs> um, there's a difference yeah yeah exactly okay so we believe in jesus christ god's only son our lord Mm -hmm. um he begins this this section this i don't know what these chapters (laughs) i don't know I, you know, I, I, I called them sections, right? So there's like the article and then there's the sections of the article, but I don't know. Mm, yeah. I guess short chapters. We He says, we tend to think of creeds as old didactic summaries, old teaching summaries of doctrine. But the real centerpiece of the Apostles' Creed is 
pardon me, is not a doctrine, but a name. Even before mm -hmm. the ancient baptismal confession had taken shape, perhaps the earliest Christian confess, pardon me, confession consisted of just two words, curiosius, Jesus is Lord. That early statement remains the spiritual heartbeat of the baptismal creed. Everything else in the creed radiates like the spokes of a wheel from that hub. Personal attachment to Jesus, total allegiance to him. Oh, I like that he brings in allegiance because you talk about you talked about that mm. in our last episode. Yeah. Yeah, it, it again, he he summarizes this thing so beautifully, right? It's it's not it's not a systematic theology, you know, textbook that you have to kind of read and memorize and here's my you know 10 reasons why I believe this or whatever the case may be, right? It it's it's very much the centerpiece is a name, right? It is a historical individual. It is God Almighty mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the flesh. It's 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 a it's a beautiful statement. Hmm. And again, he I, I think that, you know, that last line that you read, right? It, it's it's personal attachment to Jesus, total allegiance to him. Right. It's that is our calling as disciples of Jesus Christ, as Christians, right? It's total allegiance to Jesus as our king, as our hmm. savior. Um, there is I mean, if if we follow that, right, everything else kind of falls into place. Hmm. Um and when we waver from, you know, that personal attachment, that, that total allegiance, that's when we get into trouble, right? That's when you see all these church rifts and you see, I mean, I'm not saying, mm. you know, it's it guaranteed to be smooth. I mean, you look at the book of Acts again, there was conflict. <laughs> I'm sure that there was conflict within, you know, even the disciples following Jesus in the gospels. Well, mm. we know that there was, right? Look at Peter. Right. Uh, mm. You know, look at James and John requesting to be at the right and left of Jesus. And there is there is conflict. But it'd be mm. far less. Right. I mean, this total allegiance to Jesus. Think of how much different the world would look. Right. If people were totally aligned, right, totally loyal to Jesus. Um, I mean, there, there is mm. no shortage. I, just this morning I was reading again about another church scandal uh, in the States. Right? I mean, it, it just. I mean, it happens. It's almost a daily thing at this point where there's a news story being run about it and it's messy and it's dirty and it shouldn't happen. Hmm. And it happens because, you know, we start entertaining our own pride, you know, or, hmm. or, or we follow our own selves or we follow some other man or whatever the case may be, right? Instead of this, this total allegiance to Jesus as our king. Hmm. Yeah, rather than aligning ourselves to a ideology that really changes and shifts and, or are just a certain political party we are hoping to align ourselves mm. to a person to the the, the 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 a person who is the perfect embodiment of god and who mm -hmm. in whom is the 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 seed the beginning of new creation and uh because I just think I I would want to lay down quite clearly the significance of that, of aligning ourselves to a person. Why does it matter that at the center of Christianity is a person rather than than seeing a, uh, a doctrine? You know, mm. I'm trying to work that out. It is important, but I'm trying to wonder, okay, but why? You know, um, 
because he's the perfect person. He's, uh, like I said, the beginning of new creation. He is the one who has initiated new creation. It's He's a living, breathing person, not a doctrine that so easily, uh, you know, or a, a, a belief, an ideology, like I said, like these things that they're, they change, they, they're, they're not um, personal. Mm-hmm. We believe in a person because per, pe- we're people. <laughs> yeah. People are personal. We, uh, we believe in uh, having a relationship with, with uh, the God of the universe. And we do this through Jesus Christ. And it's quite wonderful to mm-hmm. think that we can have a relationship with God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And since he is Lord, hmm, that's a good thing <laughs> for our world because he is good. His his way of doing things is is uh, so much better than the ways of the world and and uh, subversive, countercultural. Mm-hmm. But that, but that personal, that personal aspect. That's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to make clear in my own thinking here. And as we think about the personal nature of the creed, then it's this uh, the the importance of the fact that the gospel is not an esoteric thing, an esoteric message. It's the good news of a person who came and invites us in to a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, at the center he says at the center of the Christian faith it's not an idea or a theory or even a vision of life but the name of a person Jesus Christ our faith centers on a on personal attachment to him attachment to Jesus is personal but that is not to say that it's a private matter Paul reminds the Philippians that one day all worldly powers and authorities will speak the name of Jesus and will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To confess Jesus as Lord means to acknowledge him as the one who shares the identity of Israel's God. In the Old Testament scriptures, God is named Yahweh, Kyrios, Lord. And in the New Testament, Jesus is revealed as the one who bears that name. So to confess Jesus as Lord is to set him above all other loyalties. It is to make a universal claim. If Jesus truly shares the identity of Yahweh, then he is the hidden truth of creation, of history, and of every human life. I confess him as as my Lord, only because I recognize him as the Lord. Hmm. That's good. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I had that last line underlined. You know, know, he is the only one worthy of, Hmm. of such a title, right? Hmm yeah 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 and it's um i think it's really really important to talk about jesus in these political ways because in our i don't know i mean i can only talk about my time in the time that i'm living and i don't really know (laughs) what it was like say 50 years ago were people so obsessed with politics as they are now like politics is the religion of our time Mm -hmm. it seems like the different ideologies and Mm -hmm. so to think about jesus in these political terms i think is important because um because it's it's a counter to the 
the political ideas of our time. But but also, he is so much bigger than our political aspirations. I've been reading this book by Walter Bergman called uh, Finally Comes the Poet, and he's talking about the fact that the go- and he admits he says I'm probably more on the left. <laughs> I probably uh, am more sympathetic to the left leaning or to the ideas on the left and on the right and i would say i'm more sympathetic to the 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 idea uh to the ideas on the right than the left or maybe i'm i don't know but anyways he says that the gospel really just smashes that all we cannot bring that to the pulpit because the gospel is so much bigger than that to say jesus is lord means that it's a totally different vision than the ones presented by the right and the Mm -hmm. left and that's Mm -hmm. And that's what, like, to go to church on Easter is a political act, but it's more than that. It's it's the mm-hmm. the most it's the most political thing you could do, probably, because it's saying Jesus is Lord. Jesus is mm-hmm. Jesus' vision of the world is so much bigger than the visions cast by the political parties, and uh, um, the Republican Party does not does not uh represent the interests of jesus and the democratic party of course i go to the american <laughs> yeah well but that's the better known right i mean it's it is it is a religion down there um and you unfortunately see churches kind of tying themselves into that uh, hmm. again i and i i would say that's a trail of you know allegiance to jesus you know you're becoming hmm. more aligned with a political party or a political figure than than jesus in many cases mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very unfortunate very unfortunate yeah because i i if christians want to be politically active that's good like um we we need to yeah, be advocating that, that for wrong with it for uh a better common life and uh i just don't think that christians should be so gung-ho so uh loyal to their candidate that they'll defend everything that they do everything that they say mm-hmm. and when this candidate is so unethical so immoral that you know this is god's anointed this is god's chosen one uh that that's just kind of going off the rails a bit uh i would say that's becoming a little blasphemous maybe more than a little oh yeah and yep. uh so to, but so what i'm getting at is is that because of the our allegiance to Jesus, we shouldn't be afraid to criticize the ideologies that we even sympathize with. Mm-hmm. Because, like I say, I would maybe find myself more sympathetic to the right than to the left. But um, that doesn't mean I'm not afraid to, like I say on here, to criticize <laughs> the things right. on the right. You know, I would I would be critical of. The ways that capitalism tends to lean toward exploiting the weak and the poor, whereas at the same time, I uh, I would say the left um, wants to do so much for the poor that there's no such thing as personal responsibility in trying to make a life for yourself. Like, mm. um, I don't know if. Uh, if that's necessarily influenced by what I read in scripture, I would, I would criticize capitalism, that, that, that tendency toward capitalism because of what Jesus says that you should be caring for the poor. You should be caring for those on the margins. Everybody's equal in the eyes of God, love your neighbor. 
and uh so as a as a christian is is the christian trying to model that in their own is is the christian trying to model the fact that jesus is lord in uh, in everything that they do so that's kind of an easier thing to think about because it's kind of in vogue <laughs> to criticize <laughs> yeah. but i think it's yeah, something I... worth talking about uh anything else on that uh i don't think so i think we kind of covered m- much of that chapter god's uh, only son that's interesting jesus christ's only son our lord um eternally begotten yeah <laughs> i believe that's that's what a number of uh you know either other creeds or is that i don't know if that's in the nicene creed eternally begotten yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's in one of them one of those uh, other other ancient creeds eternally begotten of the creeds. father god from god light from light true god from true god mm-hmm. begotten mm-hmm. not i am getting this wrong um This is in the Nicene Creed. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made. So, yeah, that's um, really a helpful, <laughs> like really good, precise language there, that mm-hmm. to be begotten of the Father does not mean he is made. Mm-hmm. He's co-eternal with the father of one substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, homo, homo <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you think of it, it was, it was that whole Arianism, uh, heresy that kind of brought about that Nicene creed or the necessity for the Nicene creed. And, uh, I think they had to use as precise of language as they possibly could. Mm-hmm. Right. So that there was mm-hmm. no wiggle room. Um, for, for Arianism to kind of worm its way back in. Mm. I'm just trying to see if he says anything about Jesus being God's only son. He because really I think it. that is interesting. Um, are we Talks not about sons and daughters Lord. of God? What was that? Uh, sorry, uh, I said he he talks more at length about Jesus as Lord than he yeah does yeah as, as as God's Son, which I think that's probably one area that he he whiffs on right. I mean that's it's a fundamentally important aspect as for hmm. Christians, and I mean you know give it give it its own little chapter there. You split that up. <laughs> um, that would be my you know criticism there. Yeah, because to say that Jesus is God's only son does not mean that we are not God's children. Mm-hmm. That it's through Jesus being God's only son that we become the children of the sons of God, the, the right. sons and yep. daughters of God. So yep. it's kind of a... Co-heirs with Christ, right? That's yeah, yeah. Hmm. I'm just thinking through what to do with that God's only son, how, how you would explain that it's, it's, you know, we are his children, but not to the same, not in the same way 
that God, that, you know, Jesus is God's son in this consubstantial way that we are not. Which I think the creed, yeah. the Nicene Creed picks up on and extrapolates. Like I just read. So we don't have to, <clears throat> we can leave it there, move on. Yeah, I was just quickly trying to check something here. What does Mike Bird say? Yeah, wow. Well, no, I wasn't checking Mike Bird. Um, uh, I was checking, you know, John three sixteen, you know, only begotten. But uh, mm. there's a number of translations that render it, you know, his only son or his his one and unique, or you know, whatever, mm. whatever the case may be, right? Mm -hmm. He's um, to try to, I think, clarify, right? That yes, as believers, right? You know, who who inherit salvation, we are made sons of god right so there's that language and then the old testament the sons of god were these you know the angelic host right? the, the, the... don't want to go down that rabbit hole let her rip jeremy that's... let her rip no 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 <laughs> we're already half an hour into this um but uh yeah, so that's a whole different podcast right but that is you know that language sons of god right and then i think that's why the new testament picks this up right um this language sons of god and yet Jesus as the son of God is, is wholly unique, right? It is not in the same way that the angelic beings or us created beings, right? That we, um, that we are, you know, Jesus as the, again, co-eternal, um, you know, only begotten, you know, that those, those, that language there speaks to a whole different, I don't know, I don't want to say species, but it, you know, species unique would be a kind of a way of, of, of talking about it. Right? Mm. We are mm. not, we are not like Christ in that sense. And yet we right. are becoming more like Christ as we experience yeah. this sanctification process. And it's, I mean, again, you could get super technical with it and that's not my area of study or expertise or anything like that. But um, mm. if, mm. Yeah, there's just a lot of language about Jesus in the New Testament about Jesus being the firstborn uh, mm -hmm. over creation, being the firstborn over the dead. Well, that's Colossians 1. But um, I think Romans, here, let me quickly look this up. Uh, um, for those, this is Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son mm -hmm. in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Um, so that's really uh, a neat idea. Also, that idea in Hebrews where it says he's not ashamed to be counted as our brother, something like that. Um, so we become brothers with Christ and uh, and God's children. In a way, I think some theologians. I haven't really studied this. I, this is kind of secondhand information, but um, that through Christ, that, let me start over here. To say that we are the children of God does not contradict this, that Jesus Christ is God's only son, because it is in Christ when we are united to him as, his, as the body of Christ, that we all become Christ together. And are thus God's only son. Hmm. I think that might be a helpful way to think about this. Because I was just. I'm just trying to think. Okay. I know that. 
this is not contradictory. Like in in at first glance, it seems contradictory. So I'm just I was just wanting to have a good not necessarily. I'm not. I haven't concluded or anything, but I'm just trying to start to think about. Okay, how how are we not? You know, I don't want to make this sound contradictory that that Jesus is God's only Son, but what are what are we? So there's an an idea here, I think. And I, and I don't think this is off. I don't think this is crazy. I think the New Testament supports this, that as an entity, we are becoming Christ and uh, um, and therefore God's son, only son. Just like Israel. Israel was, an, was God's son, just as they were all sons. It's, uh, that's a, that's a, a biblical idea that that idea of the corporate nature of the body mm-hmm. just just say it jeremy i can see the look in your eyes no i'm crazy no. i'm a heretic <laughs> no I, I i just i would have to mull stuff over uh yeah I, I, well that's I what this is all about very carefully well yes ponder, ponder it out yes <laughs> it, it, oh, that's the great thing about this ponder cast is since there's not a lot of listeners, I can just say crazy things and nobody's going <laughs> to. And nobody's going to speak out. Oh, boy. Some, uh, just watch. Somebody will make a comment now. Yeah, exactly. Who was born? Oh, no, conceived mm-hmm. of the, uh, pardon me, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived? Oh my! That always—that's a bamboozling idea, honestly. Whenever I try to think about that, it's like, okay, I—I I just can't think about it because it's—it hurts the the brain mm. <laughs> to think about mm, the conception mm-hmm. of Jesus. <laughs> and it's—it's it's one of the more attacked areas in Christian theology, too, mm. right? Um, because of it, right? I mean, it. On, on the materialistic level, yes, that is impossible, right? A virgin mm. just does not spontaneously conceive. Um, mm. But if we are being true to our faith, we aren't materialists. <laughs> mm. uh, not, not strict materialists, right? Right, um, right. And so if we believe that God created man out of nothing, as he did with everything, and breathed life into man... Uh, and I'm meaning men and women here. I'm just using, I'm a male, so I'm using male language here. No, I'm just using the biblical <laughs> language. Um, and, uh, Patriarch. <laughs> patriarchy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe I should, maybe I should use a more egalitarian translation. Uh, but, but anyways, if we believe that, right, mm. if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrected body, why do we, you know, shy away from speaking of, of the virgin birth or, um, you know, I, I, at least again, in my experience, some Christians get very uncomfortable talking about the virgin birth or, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, they have no problems talking about creation. They have no talk pro- problems talking about the resurrection, but for whatever reason, they just kind of shy away from the virgin birth. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Um, it is, it is a part of the early church creeds, uh, not simply the apostles creed, but, uh, you know, the Nicene Creed talks about it as well. It was part of the, I mean, even predating this, it was part of the early church's gospel message was, was to integrate into uh, their presentation that Jesus was born of a virgin. 
right? It's 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 fundamental to Christianity. So really, mm. we should we should proclaim it proudly. Mm. Um, and I mean, I, again, you're going to have all sorts of people. Well, you know, this was stolen from you know Egyptian mythology or Babylonian mythology or whatever all these mythologies are, and and just quite frankly, those, those claims do fall flat. You know, they, mm. they don't, they don't hold water. I guess that would be a good way of putting it. Um, and any of the, the Roman and Greek uh, claims about their gods, you know, being born of a virgin, they come after the mm. time of Christianity as mm. the first time we encounter it in record in written mm. record. Right. So it's, it's more probable that many of those stories evolved you know, to encompass the, the Christian ideas. And even if, if not, right, even if they predate Christianity, that in no way discredits the Christian message. Mm. Of, I mean, you could argue, I'm not saying I do, but you could argue that this is simply uh, God's grace preparing people from all nations and all people groups to receive the, the message of the gospel because it wouldn't be so unbelievable to them right well they have they have these hmm. similar ideas within their own religions uh, oh hmm. interesting mm -hmm. yeah i like uh so when he's talking about who was conceived by the holy spirit i like that he he shows that this is almost a repeat or uh, a recapitulation of uh mm -hmm. of creation where mm -hmm. Uh, God is taking, it's not necessarily ex nihilo taking place here. He's taking what's already been created and, and uniting it with, with something uncreated, I guess, mm. and uh, bringing it about. It just hurts the mind. I can't think about it. <laughs> mm. mm -hmm. It's just crazy. Um, but, it's definitely a, a sign, you know, it, it's a sign of new creation, uh, that the spirit is hovering over the, the womb of an actual woman. Whereas I would say in Genesis, it's creation is coming out of the womb of God. Um, uh, but, but it is not God. Creation is not, you know, I use that metaphorically because I know there's issues with that. I think if, because you could say, well, then everything that's created is God if it's coming from the womb of God. Well, I'm kind of using that metaphorically. Yes. Um, um, because because I, uh, in Genesis, you see that life comes from the womb. <laughs> so anyways, um, it's not uh, inconsistent with a biblical metaphysic to think about the verge a virgin birth it just really is not mm -hmm. that crazy to the biblical imagination but people get caught up on that mm -hmm. yeah they really do and again i think that's that's unfortunate and i, I again I, I blame materialism for a lot of this just because i have to blame someone or something <laughs> but uh it's uh, <laughs> Or like, I uh, mean, really, I mean, deism, I suppose, which is, yep, which is yeah. definitely a precursor to this materialism, probably. Yep, certainly. 
right? The opposite of narcissism. Right. I mean, in some, in, yeah, in some ways it's the, uh, uh, the mirror image of Gnosticism just on the other side, right? It's, um, there's, you know, Gnostics believed, you know, the spiritual is what really mattered, whereas materialists say the material is what really matters. And and so you kind of have this mirror Mm. image of one another, right? So it's kind of like a Mm. new Gnosticism in some ways, a new version of Gnosticism in terms of some of the dangers and stuff. And you even find this within, say, mm. the, the Mormon church, right? I think that you find this this idea, right? It, it wasn't, I mean, they had this different, weird, weirdly materialistic view of kind of the virgin birth, right? Mm. Where Elohim actually came down and had sex with Mary and oh, Jesus was conceived and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's this... But it's it's this very materialistic type mm. thing, right? They, mm. they try and explain away that supernatural in that mm. sense. I um, see, right? And that was, you know, came to light in the eighteen hundreds, of course. So, you know, pro- kind of a product of the day. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we don't believe that. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, no, it's, not at all. I think it's so mysterious that we can't explain it, and I'm happy to leave it at mystery because you could get you could get really weird about it oh, yeah. and i think it's best to just leave it at the fact that he was conceived as the holy spirit overshadowed mary mm-hmm. there's nothing weird about it uh right. it's there's no cosmic rape here <laughs> mm-hmm. mary it's it's a very um synergistic event where mary is mm-hmm. consenting mm-hmm. not that how how synergistic it is she just says yes <laughs> let it happen according to your will um but as we're thinking about this a few weeks ago i was preaching in romans 8 where it talks about you know romans talks paul talks about the flesh and you know it seems to be this dichotomy between the spirit and the flesh and i was thinking okay i don't want to draw that wedge between spirit and flesh that sounds so you know that really works in the hands of of a gnosticism or a um who was that fellow who who uh hated material was that was that marcian or was that the Mont- montanist i can't remember but definitely that gnostic Mont- yeah. was it the yeah. montanist I, I don't i don't think it was i think Marcion was the Old Testament God and, the, and Jesus right. were different, right? The Old Testament God was some kind of evil entity. So I don't think it was him. Uh, although I could be wrong. I'm not an early church guy. But I think it was the Montanists more. more so I, I really get nervous about this bifurcation of spirit and mm. flesh. So anyways, um, I just wanted to, I was like, okay, I want to be clear about what Paul means here by flesh. Because he's not. I don't think he's saying you need to, you know, the flesh is evil. I don't think he's saying that. So what exactly is he saying? And um, it says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns, condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
uh, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, who are, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. I mean, if you're thinking about flesh merely as the physical body, then the physical body needs to go. <laughs> but yeah. Jesus yeah. came as a physical body. So there's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, I think, I wonder, I, I really am convinced that what Paul says here is that, so he, like he makes this qualification here in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came in the physical body. He came just like any of us. He came in the, in the nature of, or in the, um, in the image of sinful flesh and, and condemned it in the, in the, it's so, I think Paul is just being unnecessarily provocative here <laughs> <laughs> to say something about the physical, to say that the physical is not what's wrong. It's, but there is something about our physical nature that needs a, that needs reforming and, mm -hmm. and it's the Holy Spirit. So even as Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, I think we are being, can, we are being conceived by the whole we are being born of the holy spirit and so that our sinful nature is being conformed so that our physical body is being conformed and so that we can use our physical body for new creation hmm. that's kind of how i can i was thinking about that 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 verse hmm. because i don't want us to say oh yeah there's the spiritual realm well let me let me clarify. There's a spiritual realm and there's this physical and there's this, you know, major bifurcation. Because I'm thinking, well, what the heck is the spiritual realm? The spirit well, really what the what the Bible says is that in the spiritual realm is where the principalities and powers are, and there's the Holy Spirit. But that's but it's not like it's equal. The spirit like the Holy Spirit definitely has more power. So what, what I'm trying to say is the spiritual realm is not altogether straightforward. <laughs> and um, I guess I want to be careful about how we talk about it. I'm not saying you and I. I'm just saying um, it could be so easy to, to drive a wedge between, oh, I'm trapped in this physical body and I need to go to heaven. Whereas I think what Paul is saying is that through the, through the Holy Spirit... We were able to actually inhabit our body in the proper way and actually use our bodies for the proper orientation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah, because I of Jesus response. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think that there's like this pendulum that some of the church just uh, attaches themselves to materialism, as we've kind of discussed a little bit. The other part kind of goes more Gnostic right where it's only only my spirit or my soul matters right and then this body is you know I'm, I'm trapped in it it's like a prison um or whatever the case may be and yet that's not at all a biblical idea um jesus ascended to heaven in a bodily form right in mm -hmm. the physical resurrected body and he has promised that you know we will raise to new life as well that we will be given you know resurrected bodies as well right this is our blessed hope 
right? Jesus did not rise from the dead in some spiritual force ghost type form, right? Thomas was able to put his hands in Jesus's flesh, right? To see, um, you know, where, where his wounds were, right? Uh, you know, the, 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 the holes in his hands hmm. and, the, uh, and in his side, right? Jesus ate in his resurrected form. And yet he could do things that, of course, the mere human body could not do. Um, when Adam was created, Adam was created as a physical body. And he was, you know, it was all good. It was very good, right? Adam and Eve <laughs> were, um, you know, this this physical body was not some, um, you know, plan B for God or anything like that, where they were they were spiritual beings. And then after the fall, they were given physical bodies. That, that was not the case. Right. This was God's plan from the beginning, and God's going to see that plan out to the very end. Right. And then the new heavens and the new earth, this is what we see. We see physical resurrected bodies, right, um, dwelling within, uh, you know, w w within or with in the presence of God. Uh, and I think that's as Christians, right, we, we, we have, you know, in, in avoiding materialism, we can't create an equally heinous error of, of you know, adopting a, uh, Gnosticism or some Gnosticism light, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and that's what I mean when I when I was babbling on about the spiritual, the spiritual world is not monolithic mm -hmm. because, and, and I'm saying that because I think we have to be careful about, you know, oh, you know, I'm a spiritual person. Well, what do you mean? But like, go to the, you're, you're getting into the, I said, Paul, in my sermon, I said, Paul's ideas here would not belong in the new age section. <laughs> yeah. no, Because he's not, not saying, let's transcend our body. Mm -hmm. He's, I think, saying that the, this, the flesh, the sinful flesh, because he even says in Romans one, Dave or Jesus came. I should just quote it instead of paraphrasing. Uh... Uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's why I'm trying to wrap my head around this idea of the flesh that I think, and I had this idea a while ago, and then I forgot it, and I just remembered it again, that I think Paul is saying the flesh is not necessarily the physical it's the the natural and i don't even like that word but the or the old order the old human order which is um you know which is still part of our life where where the old order of things is jesus is born of the son of david or or, or mm -hmm. in that line Whereas now in the new order through the spirit, he is the firstborn from the mm -hmm. dead. And by being in the spirit, we are part of that new line, that new family line where we live according to the new family code. Mm. So I don't know if that makes sense. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it clear here for my own sake. <laughs> <laughs> To say the to say that Jesus is born in the flesh is to say that he's born in the old way of life, but that he's redeeming it mm -hmm. through the Spirit. He's redeeming it so that we can live in it, and we're not trying to get rid of our body. 
but to actually be like the physical is being redeemed, the material is being redeemed. So by through the material, you can walk in the spirit. And that's another thing, Paul, what do you mean by that? But because uh, <laughs> that's that's what bugs me when we talk about the spiritual is walk in the spirit. OK. How do we do that? <laughs> mm. It's not clear how we do mm. that. Um, so that's why I, I want to be careful about this. I, that's why I'm trying to really flesh out my thinking here, just for my own sake, <laughs> for my own teaching right. and preaching. Because um, he says in Galatians, walk in, he says it here too, walk in the spirit so that you may fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. So there's the walking is about living, living in the power of the spirit and using your body to walk, to fulfill the law, because that's what Jesus mm. did. Jesus used his body to set forth a new way of living. Mm. But I'll end it. I can, I can stop. <laughs> huh. um, yes. So it says, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And that might be a future thing. Because as he goes on, it says creation is groaning for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Mm -hmm. So I think that helps my argument here. <laughs> that, that, um, uh, that that the, the the dichotomy that's going on here is the old way of life and the new way of life that takes mm. place in here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And this is related. I'm not just going on an unrelated tangent here. I'm I think that this is the implication that Jesus is born or that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That uh that the physical, like you're saying, that the material is not altogether evil. But the material is not altogether the way that God is thinking about. There, that, that that that's the the only thing there is. But that there is a there is a spiritual realm. You could say there's the heavenly realm, and there's the I don't know the hellish realm, <laughs> the the realm of the of the demons, and uh, and and we're trying to get away from that realm. The, the kingdom of darkness we're trying to get ourselves out of that through jesus we have been delivered out of that into the the new realm so anyways i apologize for doing all this talking that's fine it's your podcast <laughs> born of the virgin mary i think we've said enough the theotokos the theotokos <laughs> the mother of god is Mary yep. our mother? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a fuck. <laughs> that's a whole can of worms there. No kidding. Okay, let's move on then to suffered. I th I like that he 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 uh, has one section on the one word suffered. Hmm. And he says that by the late new testament writings the word suffering has become a convenient formula for referring to the whole story of jesus's life and death he suffered and he quotes from hebrews 2 8 and i just want to look mm. that up quickly 
because he says the, the creed never talks about original sin. Uh, uh, no mention of the fall or original sin, but now we hear ourselves confessing the word suffered. And with a painful jolt, we realize all is not well. So, um, yeah, that's interesting to, to use the word suffer as an all-encompassing word for the life and ministry of Jesus. That he, he continually suffered in his, mm-hmm. in his human body. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what comes with the old order, is suffering. Mm-hmm. The new order. So there's that, that I'm going to be preaching on... on <laughs> Uh, for if you, for uh, those who love God, all things work according mm. to his plan. So I'm kind of thinking about that. But, you know, as we're living in this now, but not yet, there's that there's suffering. So Jesus undertook uh, the end times tribulation. <laughs> <laughs> Say it louder for the dispensationalists. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't mean to ostracize any of your listeners. Uh, but there's something about the mortification of sin that is suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So say more. I'm yeah, tired okay. of talking. Uh, oh yes, I'm tired of hearing you. No, I just, oh, I joke, just why do I get that on uh, this podcast so much? <laughs> <laughs> he he makes he makes a number of references, right? He's so like Luke uh, twenty four twenty six. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? Acts seventeen three. Mm. It was necessary for the yeah. Messiah to suffer. Mm. Right? And then, yeah, as, as you referenced Hebrews two eighteen as well, that that Jesus suffered. Um, and I mean, this is all tied very much not only with his earthly life, right? Uh, especially during his ministry, um, he suffered. Uh, the abuse and accuses or accusations of, of blasphemy and and all sorts of other things from many of the Jewish leaders, uh, but he also I mean obviously this is part of the suffered under uh, Pontius Pilate um, as you know the, the line right I mean his death was you know the you know, that the cross was, to quote the old rugged cross, the, 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 the hymn of the old mm. rugged cross, it was an emblem of suffering and shame, right? And mm. uh, that's exactly what the design of crucifixion was about, right? It was to maximize suffering and, and to maximize shame on, on the individual. Uh, this is why they would, uh, you know, often try to make crucifixions last as long as possible, keep them alive for days. Uh, mm. This is why there was... Uh, encouragement given to the Roman soldiers to be as creative as possible regarding crucifixion, right? To maximize suffering um, on the individual. I mean, th- this is this is what it was all about. And so Jesus willingly suffered this for our sake. Um, and it's it's you know, crucifixion is a horror that we can't even imagine um, today, right? especially in the West. Right? We live pretty cushy cushy lives, and we're all about comfort. Um, mm. this was anything mm. but that uh and, and i mean really i mean again it's the fact that early christians um revered the cross was again you talked about the redemption of the physical right well this was again something every, everything jesus touched was redeemed right so things that would normally uh make somebody ritually unclean when jesus touched 
that individual they made virtually clean right it, it, mm. you know, it went backwards mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the cross was right. no different right the mm. cross would ritually make one unclean right there there was all sorts i mean you look at deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23 where it talks about you know uh that the person who is hanged on a tree is cursed right paul mm. brings this up in his arguments in galatians as well <laughs> uh and and you think about that well jesus jesus instead of being cursed right i mean paul argues yeah he, he became a curse for our sake uh and yet at the same time he redeemed the cross in in the sense that now we look to the cross um you know as 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 a symbol of hope and love and forgiveness right um and and it was because again he willingly suffered the abuses and and, and tortures of the cross uh for our you know atonement uh, for mm. the atonement of sins um mm. And it's beautiful. And, and also just as a fun little side note, uh, Pontius Pilate is the only other person other than the Virgin Mary um, mentioned in any of the early church creeds. Oh. Peter and the rest of the apostles are not mentioned, <laughs> but you get Pontius Pilate, right? Hmm. Um, who was not a nice man, right? He was a very actually evil, vindictive uh, man. Uh, hmm. You can read more about him in some of these ancient, uh, you know, Josephus or... Hmm. or interesting stuff like that you can read some of his stuff like one time he just decided to round up a bunch of jewish uh individuals prior to the passover and crucify them randomly oh uh, just to make sure Oof. that there was order during the passover oh so i mean my. this is the kind of guy he was right so the gospels mm. paint him in actually a fairly favorable light compared to who he really <laughs> was um yeah. he was not a good man and yet he's forever mm. remembered in the creeds you know, for the past almost 2000 years, right? 1700 years or so mm. since the, the, uh, the apostles creed was written or formalized at least. And so you have him forever remembered in history as the man who crucified Jesus, right? The man responsible for the crucifixion of, of the King of glory. Uh, I mean, he's not remembered for any of his other achievements, right? He's remembered for crucifying Jesus. Um, <laughs> So I, I find that kind of just funny, hmm. sad, sad, <laughs> but funny. I mean, his wife, his wife did warn him. And if you believe early church tradition, yeah. right, she, be, she became a believer after hmm. uh, she became an, a, right. a follower of Jesus. But yeah, that'd be amazing. Never did. Wouldn't that? Yes. In uh, the section on suffered, he ends with this paragraph christians today might be more tempted by the allure of a triumphalist faith or by distorted by a distorted gospel that promises worldly satisfactions and success and uh i might lay blame there on since we're laying blame on people lay blame on constantine for some of that but we are Mm. baptized into the way of a suffering lord who lays on his followers not a crown but a cross we will share Mm -hmm. christ's glory yes to the extent that we also share in his sufferings so again it's that countercultural mm. it's really an un, it's it's just it shatters our understanding our expectations that our messiah suffered it was brutal it wasn't nice i i sometimes think that we need to sit on good friday a little bit more mm. like easter comes too quickly mm. <laughs> Or for some people, Easter happens on Good Friday. Right. Uh, but we really need to sit on that 
on that moment on the on the fact that all of life all of his life was a suffering mm. and all of his life was a victory but mm. all of his life was suffering it was it was it was redemptive and and uh, i did note in that sermon about you know that we are we are tied to our flesh but or to our physical body but we're not so tied that when we die that we cease to exist and that's mm. the that's the 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 point that comes in where we say we're not totally materialists mm -hmm. because we do believe in that spiritual um so as we suffer if we die in if we die and if we particularly die in the name of christ we will be raised to new life mm -hmm. and uh so that's good <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think um, that also fits well with the um you know what we talked about to open this this episode uh, talking about allegiance to Jesus, right? Well, you know, that loyalty comes at a cost, right? I mean, and uh, as he ends, right? You know, we will share in Christ's glory, yes, right? But to to that extent that we will also share in his sufferings. And, and that's where that allegiance to Jesus gets tested, right? How willing are we to suffer for the name of Jesus? Um, hmm. Yeah. Well, what does it even look like? Because a lot of people like to talk about, you know, are we going to stand up for the gospel? And I think, uh, I think that might be a little bit different than what people want it to be. Like, mm. we're going to stand up against the transgender bathrooms. We're going to stand up against COVID mandates. We're going to, you know, whatever. It's It's always a political thing. But what about standing up for the people down the street who need some money for a meal? And I'm saying that to myself. Hmm. Like that's really where it, that's a that's a lot of where it matters too. Um, mm -hmm. It's not necessarily like nobody is nobody is threatened with death in our in North America for believing in the gospel. We might be getting there. I will admit, but. Um, we could probably take a play out of some of the people in China, Middle East. You know, they're the ones who are really standing up and know how to. Um, but anyways, I'm saying that I'm saying this stuff to myself too. I don't want to throw people under the bus. Um, but I mean, it is it's preaching to us this 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 these messages. Have I did I tell you about this book I'm reading called uh, The Cult of the Dead? No, it's I picked this up at McNally Robinson. It's written by this professor in Toronto who studies martyrs <laughs> in, in Christianity. I think he's a professor of religion, but he studies martyrs, and it's like good grief. A lot of uh, the church for thousands of years was obsessed with finding the martyr's bones and finding segments of the cross and you know the, the the crown of thorns and and this this current chapter he's talking about or this the previous chapter i read he was talking about the living dead and uh and how people would would submit themselves to the life of a monastic and one of the things he's talking about is these people for this for their their life uh, vows as a monastic. It was essentially like a funeral procession. They would sing songs from a funeral 
They would say things mm-hmm. from a funeral service. Then they would lead them off to a tiny little cell where their food would be given to them. They would have a chamber pot and they'd have a little tiny crack where they could look out on the altar and see the the candle, the, the presence candle and see the reserved sacrament. And that was their life. <laughs> they were essentially submitting themselves to death in a life of prayer and such. And, uh, and of course, some of these monastics, I think, took it a little too far. Um, but there's an element of submitting ourselves to voluntary suffering, like, say, during Lent, where we say, I want to give up something. I want to fast, give up whatever it may be for the sake of prayer, for the sake of seeking out to serve others. So... Mm-hmm. Um, those are good things to do. Um, mm-hmm. Like I say, I need to do it more, I suppose. But, you know, it's just a life of saying, what do I need to repent of? What do I need? To, how do I need to align my life more to the Lord and mm-hmm. and uh, and suffer through that? It's the Christian life is not a it's not altogether pleasant, but um, it's also not, you know, it's not like we should go finding it either but if it comes will we submit yeah yeah i i think that's a good point and i think that's where in part at least we've in the west have have got it wrong right in our presentations of the gospel of jesus christ we oftentimes don't include that right we just focus Mm. on the sunshines and the rainbows and how jesus is going to make your life so much better and that's true um, in, in, in many regards, right? I mean, you are going to be freed from bondage to sin and Satan. And, you know, you have this promise of eternal life and, you know, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Like, there's a lot of obvious benefits to this, right? I mean, but, right, I think it, it, it's, it, uh, it's to our own detriment that we don't speak about, hey, but there's also this aspect of suffering for the name of Jesus, right? And that's a very real thing. And it has been a very real thing for the majority of church history where people have suffered for the name of Jesus, right? Depending where you are, it's certainly still a reality for many people today, right? It's, mm. it's a daily, you know, reminder or daily reality that they, um, that they deal with. And uh, I think to divorce the gospel message from that, uh, yeah, I think that's dangerous. Mm. Um, I think I think it I think it weakens the church um, collectively. I mm. don't think it prepares us mentally for you know. Hey, this could happen. I mean, you think of it uh, in 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 pre World War One Russia, right? I mean, Russia was a largely a Christian nation, right? The Orthodox Church mm. was was very prevalent there, right? If you went back to you know, 1914 Russia, and you said, hey, in a few years, the church is going to be, you're going to suffer for the name of Jesus, right? You you are going to, you know, there's going to be devastating persecution. They would have laughed you off. Yeah, it's never going to happen, right? And in a mere few years, with the rise of of Marxism and, and, you know, the Bolsheviks, right? There was people trapped in churches, burned, you know, they would burn the churches down with people inside or mm. they would search them out and kill them, right? This was just the reality. And it, it turned around very quickly. And so I, you, your, mm. your, your comment that, you know, heading that direction, maybe. 
right? Um, right. Yes. Maybe not. Right. It, right. it might not. Right. Although exactly. I, I think the general trend right now is is a slow move towards that today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even if that doesn't happen, I think I think we need to be prepared for that. You know, like if that day should come, right? Um, this isn't this isn't Jesus failing you, right? Mm. This isn't God abandoning you or anything like that. You know, uh, the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Isn't that kind of, I'm probably getting that mm. wrong, but there's, there's some kind of saying along that line, right? The church has historically grown the most through persecution. Uh, and again, that's one of those, you know, inversions of how things are supposed to work to our minds, right? And that's, you know, God often works in, in those mysterious ways. Hmm. Um, and I'm not saying we should pray for it, but I'm reminded of a story. I went to a, a, a conference and I'll, I'll end on this. I'm sorry. Um, no problem. But it, it was a, it was a very interesting comment because the, these, it was part of this uh, conference that I used to be a part of. And, uh, and they had missionaries in Africa and, uh, they had some churches in Africa as well that they, they kind of were sister churches. Um, and there was persecution, right? And, and the hardship for these people. And so they asked them, you know, well, how can we pray for you? And they say, well, you know, whatever you do, don't pray that we do not suffer these things because we don't want to grow cold and lethargic like you guys in the mm. West, right? Which was rather uh, shocking to the missionaries to hear this, you know, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, but they, they weren't praying that they would escape persecution or that the persecution would mm. stop, right? That was not something on their minds. It was that they would stand firm through the persecution, right? Um, and I, I, I suspect that a lot of people here in the West do the very opposite, right? They pray that persecution or the hardships would stop. And that hardship to them is somebody making a derogatory remark about their faith. It's not, it's not physical persecution, it's somebody said something nasty about me. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean that 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 can be a form of persecution. Well, you persecuted me earlier, then. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, this is the day and age that we live in, right? You know, can't say anything about anybody <laughs> without something happening. <laughs> well, we should wrap it up there. Yes. Yeah. Um, We'll be back to complete uh, the section on Jesus. And then we'll do one on the Holy Spirit. And that'll be enough of Jeremy for now. Yeah, yeah. You all grow sick of me. Oh, no. It's good to have you. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Uh, let us know what you're thinking. Join this conversation. I would not say that what we've said is the final thought or my final or Jeremy's final thought on this thing, on these things. So please join us, uh, push back on anything. And, uh, are you Jeremy? I think you're muted or is it am just, I? am I muted? Oh, I think it's just really laggy. Never mind. No. <laughs> Your mouth is still moving from, uh, I think five minutes ago. Oh, <laughs> My bad. Well, until next week. Do you know what it is, Jeremy? Until next Keep week. Keep pondering. <laughs>